Last time, we started giving you a tour of the amazing Haunted Providence Academy, built in 1873 by Mother Joseph, using the bricks at the center of this podcast, the Hidden Bricks. Here's part two of that discussion, where we bring in my husband Dave, because everybody knows someone named Dave, (laughs) and my Dave has lived with me for over a decade and a half and still manages to like me, which should give you an idea of how chill he is, right? Right! You know, I do know somebody named Dave. If he says something is going on, something is definitely going on. And you pretty much think there's something going on with the Providence Academy. Yeah, there's something going on. I'm Sarah. I do what I want. And I'm Andrea. And I like that. And we are Two Witches. Thanks again, Sarah. And thanks for joining us again, weird listener, for another shot of Brick Mojo. Welcome to the second half of our deep dive into the haunted Providence Academy in downtown Vancouver, Washington. It takes a very calm dude to wife a tornado like myself for this long. So why the hell did this old nun building freak him out so badly that he had to bail out of the tour and head back down to the second floor? Let's ask him. Hey, Dave. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Sarah. So we're picking this conversation back up, describing what it was like to explore the top floor of the Academy, where most of the reported haunting activity occurs. And you had a strange experience? Yeah, it started out when we were touring the attic of the Academy. I noticed that there was a weird long hallway and I thought that there was just maybe a mirror at the end of the room or something. And so I stuck my head around expecting to see my own reflection, but there was no reflection there. It was actually just a mirror image room. Ooh, liminal. Yeah. Part of the reason that the upstairs feels so weird is that the entire building is in that design of a giant cross. And those effects that you're describing, Dave, can be very unsettling, much like the hallways of the Valley Hotel in Las Vegas, where we had a similar experience. Hallways like that can lead to that funhouse sort of atmosphere. It feels like there's mirrors everywhere, but there really aren't any. So Dave, how did that feel actually? Like, you know, it's a liminal space. It's really long. You think something's going to happen. doesn't happen. Little, little unnerving. Yeah, it was definitely unnerving, so much so that one of the other random people on the tour came over to see what I was looking at. Hmm. And they peeked around and they said, oh, that's not a mirror. So they had exactly the same reaction to it I did just moments later after seeing me staring down this hallway. Interesting. So that top floor is in the early stage of renovation, right? Yeah, it's pretty much um, decaying. It's a gorgeous decay, but it's, it's falling apart. And that's probably why the past is still making itself known here. Yeah, it's similar to how it was was when they were there. It must be a little sad for them, though, to see that decay. Do you think they see it, actually? you think they see the decay, or do you think it's more of a loop? That's really interesting. My opinion on that, ghosts don't notice renovations. They just notice the people working. I think they, they notice the energy, not the space. And that explains things like why ghosts would walk through walls or go a certain way where nobody else can follow them. And it's because maybe there was a hallway there before. And they're, they're following the paths that used to exist. So they may not see the decay. Hmm. To them, it's the same space they've always known. I see. Yeah, that's interesting. The thing about those hallways that I thought about, too, that our docent told us on the tour was that there wasn't any plumbing up there hmm. up until the 1920s. Hmm. So think about the traffic that those long, long hallways saw as they were, you know, running downstairs to empty their chamber pots all night long or every morning or yeah. just bustling, bustling, bustling. So yeah. it would make sense that that's an area 
area where you kind of feel like there's a lot of activity. Yeah, definitely a lot of energy, a lot of movement there. And another thing, too, is Mother Joseph designed the building so that all of the heat would rise. She was very smart about her construction, of course. And everyone lived on this top floor in those early days, specifically the very front of the building that faces out over the Avancourt. There's these odd little rooms that have like little cubbies that they use for storage, but the winters were brutal. They had one particular winter, that first one, where they almost didn't make it, and they used to huddle in those teeny tiny rooms over those front windows just to try to share heat. I would be miserable. Right. There's basically two different balconies up there. When you're in these long hallways and you go up there, the main staircase that goes all the way to the bell tower, there's these beams that go right through the wall here, these big thick beams. It's a really interesting way that she constructed it up there. It's unique. There's two separate access locations upstairs to get into the chapel. One from the third floor itself and then one up from the attic. And this one up in the attic, the sick patients would actually be wheeled out as well to be able to participate in services. And one of these places where, you know, the sick people, any sick and the dying would come out to attend services is right off of these old nun quarters that feel so weird. Interesting. So, okay, explain this for me. The sick patients would be wheeled out onto a uh, onto where? There's a door up from the attic that leads out to the chapel. Okay. Okay. And you can get, you can access the chapel from every floor of the building. Okay. It, well, not the basement. Wow. But the chapel was the crowning jewel of this entire place. Wow. And so she designed it. There's a choir loft and then there's an additional loft in there where she could wheel out, you know, the sick and the dying so they could participate in church as well. Hmm. Which is ironic given, you know, the fact that I suppose she was potentially thinking about her own future, which was her, you know, with her hole in, in her room listening to church services as she died in her building as well. Right. Wow. So, you know, there's so, so many different things that were occurring here upstairs mm-hmm. where everything started to sort of feel weird. There's there's old confession booths up there as well from the chapel uh, um, that you can just, you know, walk up to and touch. Yeah. Confession booths are freaky. Right. Think about what those pieces of wood have absorbed and yeah. thought of and the tears they've just, and the energy they've absorbed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're just there. You're just walking right past them. So that's... That's all going on up there. There's old wood lockers that used to, you know, store all of the things. And then, of course, there's the bell. Yeah, the bell. Everybody that was on the tour was able to ring this bell if you wanted to. And pretty much all of the children on the tour wanted to. And for whatever... The children. Of course. Of course. And for whatever strange reason, I did not want to ring this bell. Turns out that bells were very important to Mother Joseph from an early age, and this haunted bell was returned to the Academy in the 1970s when Robert Hidden began restoring the place. And the return of the bell has a sad story involved. So one of the weirdest things about this bell that I still can't explain is that I didn't want to ring it. I strongly felt that I shouldn't ring it. All the kids on the tour rang it, but not you. Right. I had the opportunity to ring it, and I didn't. Now, now that I know all about it, I really want to ring it, and I can't, and that sucks. But it's interesting <laughs> that I wouldn't. COVID. <laughs> I, being a chicken, right? It, it, it screwed me over. But it's really interesting that I wouldn't ring it, knowing what I know about the bell now. And what is that? What What's so strange about this bell? When I discovered that this was the bell that rang, when Mojo's death was announced to the city of Vancouver, I thought that this was probably the reason I didn't want to ring the bell. You know, the residual sadness I might have picked up on. I wasn't sure. But the story is a little bit more faceted than a particular unusual death announcement. 
On February 19, 1965, two men related to the Fort Vancouver barracks site named Arnold J. Kroshar and William Kenzie were killed in a helicopter crash while transporting this historic bell back from Issaquah, Washington, to the Providence Academy when it was reinstated in the 1970s after the hidden saved it from destruction. That is crazy. Right. It is after the bell was reinstalled in 1975 that major reports of the bell itself being a cause of the hauntings here began to emerge. In a local historian, Patrick Loto's latest book called Haunted Vancouver, that features a familiar looking red brick building on the front, describes the situation with the bell haunting like this. A volunteer working in the attic felt profound sadness whenever he went near the bell. He said it was like a miasma as soon as he came within touching distance of the bell. Wow. Did you get near the bell? I don't even remember being near the bell. I was not really close to it. I was 10, 20 feet away, maybe. Yeah. It did have like a sad feeling. It was hard for me to focus on that sad feeling, though. Hmm. So, should we talk about that date? <laughs> it sure is. February 19th. It sure is. It's my grandmother's birthday. It's uh, Gamlin's birthday. And this is how it happens live recording. <laughs> it's also my birthday. Okay. Okay. Let's keep talking about the bell. <laughs> because the weirdest thing about this crash, you guys, is that it happened <laughs> in essentially the exact same location as an earlier crash. Wow. That is crazy. A news article right after the event described it like this. A Malala man was one of two aboard an army helicopter to die in a crash near Chehalis, Washington, Wednesday. An army spokesman identified the dead as the pilot Army Reserve Captain Arnold J. Krauschar, I hope I'm saying that right, of Malala, and a civilian working with the Army, William L. Kinsey of Vancouver, Washington. Lewis County authorities said the copter crashed in virtually the same location of a plane crash several months ago. Under Sheriff Donald Barnes said it appeared the helicopter like the small plane, failed to clear a hill about three miles from the Toledo airport. He said in both instances, the pilots apparently misjudged the altitude needed to clear the hill. Whoa. It's the same shit. That is weird. That is that is pretty. That's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are people literally trained to miss things. Yeah. Right. They're flying around in the air. That's what they do. How do you hit a hill? Twice. A hill. Twice. And, and we're talking about hills in Oregon. So. Right. Or Washington, Pacific Northwest. Right. So. Like there, we're used to These this. are hills. There are mountains. They're not. Yeah. There are mountains nearby. These are just yeah. hills. <laughs> these are not like mountains. They're like hills. There's a difference. Right. So around this tour, the bell tower was closed because of the active renovation happening. And I was kind of bummed about that because I was actually wanted to go up in the tour because there's some awesome graffiti up there that says in all caps, Mother Joseph was here before all of you. Oh. And like. And, like, I love that because it's true. And, and they're right. I mean, she's still there. Wow. She's still there. Did you get, did, you did not get a photo? Oh, you have. No, it was, it's up in the bell tower, which, you know, she's supposed to, she's supposed to haunt. Everyone says she's supposed to haunt the hall. She haunts the bell tower. She's seen everywhere. Well, can you imagine how much walking and just walking and walking and steps she took on that premises? Right. Yeah. That's. That's pretty insane. Yeah. But there's graffiti like that all over. The graffiti like that because but remember, before Robert Hidden saved this bitch, they were going to knock it down. The city was done and they were going to... This is not the first time that this place has been in jeopardy. They were going to knock the whole thing down. Right. And so they let all of the last kids, the neighborhood kids and the people from the last class come up and like write their initials upstairs and carve in the walls because they were going to knock it down. Wow. So... 
it's all graffitied and there's stuff from the 1960s just everywhere up there you know people love who and oh my God. and it's so there's there's so much energy like patty and steve 8:26:65 like uh, yeah i hope they made it wow <laughs> you know so if you think about like peter people not only did she lay the foundation herself like you know responsible for the bricks there on carve the wood there that you know heard all these you know spiritual secrets this was god's purpose um, you know, all the trials and tribulations that happened here. Then you take into the fact of what's going on with just the freaking bell from this place. Yeah. And bells are a huge thing for Mother Joseph. Like I said, I've been starting to track them. And, like, my bricks are Mother Joseph's with bells. Like, bells were a sign for her. So the yeah. fact that all of this shit happens around this bell just really catches my attention. Wow. That's a crazy story about that bell. Right. Really. And that's just one of the things that's going on in this building. And the energy from years of vandalism up there... I mean, vandalism itself, right? you know, gives you some kind of energy. It's not always pleasant and positive either. Exactly. Can you imagine, like, if she is still wandering the halls there, being one of those people that's in there trying to vandalize her shit? No. This is a Catholic nun. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, she will completely mess you up. So, but Dave no. wasn't doing anything to mess anything up. No. But he just started feeling really weird when you were just chilling up there. And all, one of the first things you told me that you felt was you felt really warm. Yeah, that was one of the first things I noticed up there was it wasn't a warm day. It was February. It was actually chilly. We were all wearing our coats. But walking around in that attic, the first thing I did, I had to take my coat off. Everybody else was still wearing their coats. It was still chilly. But I had to take my coat off because I just started feeling warm for no reason. Just walking around. It was very strange up there. I was uncomfortable. I started feeling sort of like I was swelling up a little bit, you know, like like my wedding band got tight and my, you know, my belt got a little tight and not because of the holidays, you know, I just... <laughs> <laughs> not because of quarantine. Right. Because, that hadn't yeah, happened yet. Yeah, quarantine hadn't happened yet. We're not going to so talk about that. That, that, has, that hasn't gone down. But I just felt like I was kind of getting swollen, like there was... Like an allergic reaction, almost. Almost, yeah. It was very uncomfortable. I think it had to do with just getting warm. Gotcha. I think it was all kind of tied in together and it made me feel like I just needed to get out of there. Right. Like the more time I spent up there, the worse this feeling got. Like somebody was applying pressure, maybe. Hmm. Maybe not somebody, but there was pressure being applied. You know, like the longer you stayed, the warmer you're going to feel, the more swollen you're going to feel. Things are going to get tighter. You're not going to feel well. Hmm. And I said that it was super weird in here and I needed to get out of there. Right. So how how small of an enclosed area is it? Is it really small or is it larger? No. <laughs> no, no, it, it wasn't small at all. The ceiling was a little low, but I mean, the space itself bigger than my living room it was it was not a small space at all it was you know actually very large aside from the shorter ceilings because it's an attic space right right it was not like a claustrophobic feeling more just that i was in the wrong place like you weren't welcome yeah i wasn't welcome mm. i wasn't supposed to be there right and the only thing i could think you know to make myself feel better was hey i need to get out of here maybe it's something up here right i had to get out of there and i headed toward the stairs i remember you told me you said um you know take your time because i was like a kid in a candy store up there and it was like take your time it's cool i'm gonna go down i'm gonna go find the bathroom i'm not feeling so good i'm fine you know just come downstairs you know when you're ready because we knew we were going to go downstairs and go outside next and i don't even know how long i was upstairs after that 
that. But when I came down, like, I was like, you okay? And, and he was fine. And we just, like, continued the rest of the tour. Uh, so other reports of paranormal activity described in Gelada's book involved hearing footsteps on the third floor, spying a little girl darting around the corner and heading upstairs, and seeing the black habits of nuns out of the corner of your eye. And I think that is so cool. The black habits out of the corner of your eye. I right. Uh, just I love that. I will admit this now. I've seen that. Not that day, but I've seen that. D- that has to give you like some comforting motherly vibe. It does. Janet's seen it too. We both were at Ugh. what we call the picnic table, which you've been to, mm-hmm. and we both just that was the day we had a very strange thing happen, and we'll have Janet on to talk about that. But we've seen that just brief kind of flash, and it would have been the east window. The East Entrance. What strikes me in this conversation is how different that is from what most people report as far as, you know, if you hear a ghost story, you see a ghost, it's always a woman in white. Hmm. Nearly always female ghosts always appears women in white. So having a woman in black, it's just so specific and so different and unique from what I've heard about. Yeah. Right. And I bet that little girl, I bet she's probably in something light colored. Hard to say. Yeah. And the habits of the nuns, you know, they're, they're definitely going to be black with that little slice of white underneath. So, and you were actually able, <laughs> we were when you were there, you were able to step inside and just for just a minute. There was somebody was loading some stuff in and out, and you kind of like crept over to the door, and I stood guard, <laughs> and I went up a couple steps. Yeah, and I'm like, just go stand in there. You gotta feel what it's like. Just go stand in there. And yeah. and so you felt it, and I remember you're like, oh. wow, it just feels really busy. Yeah, yeah, it did. It felt really busy. Like you're in a large building. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of movement going on. Everybody has a job to do. Mm. That type of energy where you're accomplishing your chore or your duty and off in the far ground, you can hear other people doing their tasks. That's the kind of feeling I got was busy, on task, no loafing around, right? movement, constant movement. That, so like t- stone tape type of stuff. Like you think it's just yeah, repeating. I'd forgotten about that. And just touching the wall, knowing how many other millions of hands had touched that same wall. Just in, you know, when you're going about your daily business and you're, you touch the wall or you move something, you're, right. you brush against it. So many other people. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. The other big haunting story there about the third floor bell and the third floor is that it has to do with the laundry, mm-hmm. which was later served as the boys' dormitory. Yep. But it was also used as a haunted house. That's crazy. A local man named Dennis described to the Columbian, a local newspaper, what it was like there in the 1960s after the school closed and before the Hiddens restored it. In the late 60s, there was an abandoned house with a bell tower on C Street, just south of 4th Plain. A bunch of us teenagers worked for a haunted house fundraiser there, and after the show, some of us decided to stay. (laughs) We slept in the upstairs empty room, and just after midnight, I was awakened by a cold breeze. A pair of legs walked over the top of me as I was laying in my sleeping bag on the floor. Oh, God. I dozed back off, but a few (laughs) minutes later, the cold breeze was back, and that same pair of legs stepped over me again, going back the direction they came from. When I woke in the morning, I rolled over to see who was sleeping next to me. I discovered I was smack up against the door to the bell tower, which was boarded up. Later, I found out that someone had hung themselves in the bell tower many years before. (laughs) Wow. This is another male 
Right. So, yeah. I cannot find an actual true story about a suicide in the bell tower in the academy, ever. Okay. Okay. And I believe that this mm-hmm. is just an urban legend part. But this area of the building yeah. and the bell itself is supposed to be haunted. And Dave's experience definitely mm-hmm. reflects that experience up here. But let's stop for a minute and think about what Andrea just said. Why are there all of these reports of men like Dave and this local man, Dennis, that have a bad time up there in the attic? They're not supposed to be there. <laughs> it's not a place oh, for men. Oh, men aren't supposed to be up there. It's not this terrifying, like, haunted, cursed bricks. Dun, dun, dun. Like, no. <laughs> like, you're in nuns' quarters. Yes. Yes. And you're not supposed to be in nuns' quarters. Even females hanging around sleeping in a sleeping bag after a haunted house, I would think, may, you know. Might not be so kosher with that. Right. Like, they're probably like, what are you doing here? What, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, some other locals have described in a local Facebook group what was going on around the time Clark College students were staying at the site overnight. Someone named Ken G. discusses, My mother went to nursing school at Clark College in the early 70s and stayed in the academy, and she remembered many nights hearing footsteps in the hallway. And sounds when everybody was asleep or not around. And she always said that place was haunted then. And then in another local in that group, her name Judy H. says, Interesting. I had a friend in the drama department in the Clark College from 1970 to 1972. And he lived there as a security measure. The Clark drama students had a haunted house party there using their costumes and fake blood. It scared me half to death. I never could have stayed there overnight. The haunted house they all described happened in the laundry room outside. The top floor where they were sleeping after their events was an old nun's quarters. Of course. Right. So men mm-hmm. are upstairs in a building marked with a buckle of ISIS <laughs> right on the front door in old nun's quarters and they're having huh. a bad time. That doesn't surprise me. It's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. No, you're not no. supposed to be up there mm-hmm. evicted. <laughs> evicted by dead Why nuns. Not? That's all it was. Yeah. Every, you know. Absolutely. So, talk a little about that laundry room outside. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. It was used at a haunted house. So, is the laundry room just a tulpa, maybe? People did scary stuff there, and boom, it's known to be haunted because it acts haunted. Right. A tulpa or an agrigore being, you know, mm-hmm. something that everybody pours energy into thinking about something being haunted, and then it begins to act haunted. Yeah, it's just absorbing. I think there might be a little bit more going on there, because... When we'll talk to Janet more about this too, but there's a lot more going on over at the laundry. It's one of the more active portions of the site. What I think is significant about the laundry coming into focus is that the city's now trying to tear it down along with all the other outbuildings. And maybe that this is why the bricks are suddenly talking to all of us. Uh-huh. This is not the first time Mojo's site has been in the middle of battles over a controversial development with the city. In fact, this is the third time that the city and the Academy's nuns didn't see eye to eye. Mojo herself actually had to take on the city in the past twice to get her building completed. When she first was trying to unite her plots of land to build the Providence Academy, the city fought her on a technicality surrounding 13th Street, uniting them, wanted to plow right through the 
middle of her farm. And eventually <laughs> she won. Of course she won, because this is Mojo we're talking about. But the second battle about the water tower is even funnier. Yeah, so after the city of Vancouver established and obtained water service, remember, Mother Joseph was here before all of you. Mother <laughs> Joseph received the first bill for the water, the new city oh. water at her school and orphanage, and was completely outraged at what she thought was a criminally high bill. So what did she do about it? This is a great story. It really is. She drilled her own well and built a water tower herself, right? Right. <laughs> and you could still see this site right outside the Providence Academy. You can see kind of the area where she built this water tower, basically to give the finger to the city. Yeah, it's super obvious outside. You can't park there. You can't drive over it. It's still a round circular area outside the academy. It's very obvious what it used to be. For sure. And now, you know, the city wants to knock down another portion of this site. So towers of bricks are one of those things we see again and again. There's another really weird place linked to the hidden family called Farger Lake, which has a tower of bricks linked to the owls. And we will do an episode soon about (laughs) that. Also, the loss of the Somerset well in Somerset mentioned in Hellier. This all goes back to Hellier. It does. Always goes back to Hellier. So soon we're going to talk about what's going on with this parallel story of Hellier-related Somerset Wells destruction. There's a lot of brick towers falling right now. It's a pattern. Another one of these patterns that catches our attention. We're both getting really sick of historic buildings being knocked over for crap no one needs or apartments no one can afford just to line the pockets of developers and greedy politicians. It's disgusting. We'll put all the information on this development deal in the show notes for this episode too so you can check out how you can hold these greedy assholes accountable and help us keep fighting for these buildings we want you to have a chance to come to the providence academy and look at all of this stuff yourself when you have a chance uh if you get a minute please let the city of vancouver and historic trust know how you feel about them taking shortcuts to knock down haunted historic sites these bricks are very very special it's why we did this whole project the laundry and the smokestack and the boiler room are together as a complex And there's a couple of things that are going on. One of them is at some point between when the Providence Academy was added to the National Historic Register, a 10 by 10 foot structure that provides key structural support to the complex outside the outbuildings has just managed to vanish and no one can seem to explain why. It's vanished. That's a lot of bricks. Yeah. And it just happens to be in a a load-bearing wall that's kind of like the kingpin to keeping that thing stable. And the fact that somebody knew exactly where to take the bricks out is suspicious. Very suspicious. There's been all this public documents leaked about collusion between the city and the developer to develop this site. And they've let it rot on purpose after a fire. Haven't done a dang thing to try to improve it. And we have until March to try to hold them accountable for it. They've obtained some incorrect permits and there's absolutely nobody to call them on it. And I really believe that a lot of the reason for my personal interest in Hidden Bricks and for me discovering that original 1871 Hidden Bricks is because Robert Hidden was kind of the last guardian. Mm-hmm. And they needed somebody else to notice what was happening and somebody to care about what's happening with those bricks. And I guess that that's us. It's a tragedy. It really, it's really an amazing area. The buildings are amazing. They just exude history. You can feel it. And right. they're not taking any of that into account. They're not taking, you know, future Washingtonians who would benefit from this lovely space 
and this right. peacefulness and and it's just really uh it really hurts my heart yeah and the things that they've done the reason that it's you know in such bad shape is because they let it rot on purpose specifically so they could develop it and so i really do have some doubts that much of it can be saved but i absolutely 100 percent believe that at a bare minimum the smokestack could and should be saved and it would not take the <laughs> 800,000 to 1.2 million dollars they're saying to make it seismically sound to (laughs) protect the public from an 80 foot smokestack I did the math once and it's a ridiculous amount per foot it just doesn't make sense and when you take into the account too you know this isn't just some crusty old building mother joseph you know arguably she's not but she was arguably the first female architect in north america she's actually probably the second louise belthoon was the first but there's so much more. She represents so much to so many more of us than just a Catholic nun. Well, and that's where people don't know that. They they just stop at Catholic nun. Right. You know, face value, she was a Catholic nun. But whoa, she, yeah, she was a Catholic nun. She was much, much more than a Catholic nun. And I really believe every single, well, I know for a fact that every single brick in that place was specifically approved and chosen by her. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a highly charged site like that, that was built by a highly strongful personality who has obviously made it very clear that she is willing to communicate mm-hmm. with people that are willing to communicate with her, what do you think is going to happen to those multi-million dollar apartments that they're going to build there? No, it's going to be bad. I wouldn't live there. Do you think there's going to be construction <laughs> site accidents? Nope. Do you think there's going to be weird shit happening to the people living there when it's done? Do you think the people that are operating the equipment might have some bad luck? My thoughts are, given that a lot of the quote-unquote haunting or, or bad experiences that occur there happen to men, and given that most construction people are men, I feel like... If you get all of these guys out there working to build these apartments, they are going to have a bad time. Right. I don't know how, but that's how this particular haunting seems to work. She has walked every inch of that property over and over and over again. And whether they admit it or not, people have died on every inch of that property. They're like, oh, it's the laundry room. Guess what? No, flu patients, boys' orphanage. Mm -hmm. Yep. Stuff happened in that building. Absolutely. There's pictures on this. I'll go to the, the website, the tour page. There's mm-hmm. pictures of what you, this building used to look like. Laundry used to actually occur in there, but lots of other things too. Yes. Look yes. at the little boys playing outside mm-hmm. and tell me that this place isn't significant to try to save. Yeah, it is significant to try and save. So the only way that we're going to save this place is by letting them know that the public's watching them. We only have till March to hold them accountable and save the site. Oh, we're definitely watching them, right? They're not going to get away with this on our watch. So thanks, Dave, for joining us and talking with us about your experiences inside that amazing place. Thank you for having me, ladies. <laughs> you know where to find us. <laughs> yes, you do. Talk to us again. So weirdos, until next time, take care of yourselves. And don't be an asshole. Have you or someone you know experienced an adverse reaction to Two Witches Podcast? Good. 